Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton. And we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. This episode officially marks us being halfway through our U.S.-based series. It has been so cool for the both of us to research a crime from each state, and especially those we know less about, and also those that maybe hit a little bit closer to home. So like I said, this episode is number 25 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episodes are based on a different crime in each state in the United States and are in alphabetical order. So today's case that I will be reviewing will be based on a crime from Missouri. Before I get into the crime that was sent to us by a listener, let's hear Anton's hilarious joke of the day. Take it away. Why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? I have no idea. I mean, a lot of logical reasons why, but... Give me the joke reason. Because it's pointless. Oh my. (laughs) That's funny. A little back to school humor for. Yeah, that was funny. A good little bit of uh, back to school humor as a lot of the schools around us are going back to school. And you'll be going back to school in a couple weeks too. Yeah, here in about two weeks or so. Yeah. And I do want to apologize. This episode is coming at you 24 hours late than it usually does, but we have been so busy. We're moving this weekend and then Anton was out on business and then we were in vacation in Oregon. So we have just had a lot of personal stuff going on, but we are back. We should be back on the regularly scheduled programming starting next week. <laughs> starting next week. Yeah. So as I just mentioned, this specific case was suggested to us by a listener by the name of Tony, and he reached out to me on LinkedIn and suggested this specific case from Missouri. We are so excited to be having listener suggestions, and I will actually be doing another one from one of my friends in just a couple weeks. If you want to suggest other cases for us to do in the remaining states we have left, please send us a DM on one of our social media accounts, and we will take a look at it and then do the research. As we also consider what series to do next after the U.S., we would love to hear from you listeners what we might do next. We do have a couple ideas that we've thrown about thrown around, but we would love to hear what you guys would like to hear from us next. Yeah, we'd love to know what you guys might want to listen to or what yeah. interests you guys. Yeah. Okay, so today's case began in St. Louis, Missouri in April of 1991. Now, to me, 1991 seems like yesterday. I mean, the 90s don't I mean, even seem that I mean, we weren't born yet, but yeah. Yeah, but in reality, 1991 was over 32 years ago. Is that crazy? It is. Yeah, and I just keep thinking about how fast the decades are flying by. Well, with this specific case, it began innocently at a relatively famous and historic place, and that is known as the Old Chain of Rocks Bridge in Missouri. Now, as for the both of us, we are not native to Missouri, nor know about its historical or theatrical monuments. You should have just seen my face. I'm not going to lie. It was the look of confuddlement. So I had no idea what bridge this was, but after doing some further research, this bridge was in John Carpenter's film, Escape from New York. Anton, have you seen this film before or know what it's about? No, but I'm assuming it has something to do with escaping from New York. Something like that. So I myself had also never heard of it. And a brief overview is that this movie is about a crime-filled United States and New York City is the only maximum security prison in the whole country. So that's the movie's just based around that. And in this movie, the bridge in our story is actually featured in the film. In addition to this bridge being a cinematic landmark, it was also added to the National Registry of Historic Places, and that happened in 2006. So that happened years after the case. With a little bit more background about the location, this case began casually on the night of April 4th, 1991, and it was at the old Chain of Rocks Bridge that I mentioned. 
three friends all went to the bridge to hang out. This included sisters Julie Carey, who was 20 years old, and Robin Carey, who was 19 years old. And they had with them their cousin who was in town, Thomas Cummins, who was also 19 years old at the time. At this time, both sisters were enrolled in college at the University of Missouri, which is in St. Louis as well. And they were enjoying the final night of their spring break with some of their family in town. So this cousin was just in town for the time being. However, a final night with a family at the bridge ended up being much, much more and a lot more devastating than they would have thought. Julie, Robin, and Thomas headed to the bridge with the intent for Thomas to see a poem that the sisters had graffitied on the bridge previously. The bridge was no longer a car-ridden bridge, meaning it was no longer open to traffic and only open to bikers and pedestrians. So on this night, the three headed to find the poem. This specific bridge ran between the state line in Missouri and Illinois. So on one side of the bridge, you were in Missouri. And when you walked across the bridge and made it to the other side, you were in Illinois. So in order to find their exact location of the poem, they were actually heading from the Missouri side to the Illinois side. Once the sisters found the poem and were able to show their cousin their, you know, honored piece of art, they ended up continuing walking the full length of the bridge, which was known to locals as a spot for St. Louis youth to hang out at and was also known as a place for youth to graffiti. Now remember, they are walking a long bridge in the middle of the night in 1991. I can only imagine how dark it must have been and how as the time passed, how much darker and creepier it must have gotten. Yeah, I wonder if it was like lit up by... No. Lights at all? Nothing? No, no this is an old bridge. And so, so it must have pretty been much pitch been black. pitch black. Yeah. Maybe some moonlight, but that's yeah, not maybe. really going to do much. I mean, in April, I bet there was probably moonlight. But, I mean, that doesn't do a lot. M- you know, not us. I mean, we weren't locals. And so maybe for these locals, it was nothing and just another night out at the bridge. I mean, it could have just been nothing. And they were used to the dark. Or... You know, it's possible they don't have phones, and so it's possible they had flashlights with them, but we don't know. Nonetheless, this bridge, although very beautiful in the daylight, could be a hazard for night walkers due to the amount of manholes that were all over the bridge. Now, for some context for you listeners, this bridge is over a mile long and is about 60 feet above the Mississippi River. Anton, let me show you a couple photos of the bridge so you have a better idea of what these three were walking across and hanging out at in the middle of the night. Now, the photos I have for you, one is a newer photo and then one is an older photo of the bridge in its prime. I mean, when you look at these photos, this is not just some small bridge. I mean, this bridge is massive in size. And in the photo, you can see some of the uncovered manholes that literally drop you down right into the water if you're not careful. Oh, yeah. I mean, not only that, it's also kind of like, it almost looks... In a way, in one of these, it's almost like an S or a Z. Yeah, and it's actually, that's why it's famous or known because it has a complete angle in its bridge. Yeah, like there's like almost, I wouldn't say it's 90 degrees, no. but it's, it's definitely. But it turns. It's, yeah, it's like a pretty big angle to where yeah. you got to really know where you're going. If you yeah. can't see, it might be. And for you listeners, I will be posting pictures of the bridge in our post that I'll post when this episode launches. But at one time or another, this bridge was a famous point of commuting. I'm sure it, I'm sure it probably was. Yeah, and when you look at the photos, it must have been a pain if there was traffic. Well, yeah, not only that, like, it's also about a mile long, is what you said? Yeah. If it gets backed up, it's going to be backed up. That's a up. mess, I know. But like I mentioned earlier, this is not a traffic-ridden bridge anymore. It's only for bikers and for pedestrians. So now that you have a better idea of where they were at when the three are walking in the dark towards the Illinois side and suddenly they hear people approaching. 
from the Illinois side going towards the Missouri side. It probably provides them some sort of relief when they see it is just a group of four young guys and a couple are just teenagers, so they didn't appear to be a threat. Even better, the groups ended up conversating for a little bit. Sources varied, but it sounded like the group of guys gave the group of three a tip on how to climb up some of the bridge railing, and then it would pop you up through one of the manhole covers. It was an innocent conversation, and it is said that maybe there was some casual flirting going on from the guys to the girls. Of course. Yeah. Teenagers. Yeah. But then the conversation ended, and the groups went their separate ways. The group of three continued heading towards the Illinois side, and the group of four continued on towards the Missouri side. Now, the group of four included two adult men and two teenagers. The adult men are named Reginald Clemens and Marlon Gray, and the teenagers Antonio Richardson, who was 16 at the time, and Daniel Winfrey, who was 15. Of course, the group of three lived on the Missouri side, so they were bound to hit the end of the bridge and have to turn around. And when that happened, and they began their walk back to the Missouri side to, like I said, head back home, they were met again by the group of the four guys. What was once an innocent interaction just a short time before had soured, and the group of four were now attacking and robbing Julie, Robin, and Thomas. Thomas was held down by one of the men and was pushed down and was forced to lay on his stomach and keep his head down into the bridge. During this time, his watch and wallet were taken from him. While Thomas is being shoved down into the bridge by one of the men, the other three are now sexually assaulting Julie and Robin and are threatening to kill them if they don't stop fighting. After the assaults had taken place, Thomas was shoved down into a manhole where he stood by the now naked bodies of his two cousins, Julie and Robin. And in this moment, they were both traumatized and scared to death. Literally. I mean, who wouldn't be in a situation like that? Yeah. Just these four seemingly friendly guys that they just met and then now they're... It's totally the opposite. Just totally flipped. Yeah. With a group of men now above them, they ordered the three of them to move to the concrete pier, which... If you can picture this, in the photo, they the piers are pretty much the large parts of the bridge that go into the water and hold the bridge up. And they are massive and pretty close to the water. I mean, you're still going down, you know, dozens and dozens of feet. But nonetheless, it's scary to go down. So the three have now been forced into the manholes and are now being forced down onto the cement pier, which is right above the powerful and extremely deep Mississippi River. As short seconds pass, one of the men end up shoving Julie off the bridge, and then after Julie was shoved, Robin was then pushed off. Before they could shove Thomas off, they told him to jump or they would shoot him, and that's what he did. He jumped straight into the water. Like I mentioned, the Mississippi River is a massive body of water and has aggressive currents and water pressure and is not good for swimmers and non-swimmers alike. I mean, this river is unknown. I mean, it probably takes... I mean, I don't know because I, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure it takes maybe hundreds of lives, maybe even thousands like of lives every year. year. Yeah. With the three now in the water, Thomas was able to find Julie and they swam with one another for a short time. But before long, he lost her and was never able to see Robin from when she was pushed into the water off the bridge. By some miracle, Thomas was able to swim and make his way up a few miles to the shore on the Missouri side of the riverbank. However, Both sisters, Julie and Robin, were not on the shore when he made it, nor did they come on the shore after Thomas made it. With Thomas now on the shore and out of the river, he ran towards the road and was thankfully able to quickly flag down a passerby trucker, and they were able to call first responders and the police. When the authorities arrived, Thomas was able to explain in great detail what had happened to him and Julie and Robin, his cousins. 
These were his dear family members and he wanted to do everything he could to save them. And as you can imagine, he was not in the best shape physically after swimming the river for miles during the middle of the night. Thomas at the time was limping due to an unknown hip fracture he had sustained from the incident. And then he was covered from head to toe in mud and river silt, which I guess river silt is just a fancy term for mud and sand debris from the river. Now, I can only imagine the emotional and physical impairment that must have been over Thomas and what he had just seen. And if it couldn't be worse, he was seen as the prime suspect by authorities. Oh, when, well, I'm sure. Yeah. And the police believed, this was their theory, that he made up the entire story and that he was trying to cover up for the sexual advances he did on his cousins. And when they resisted his advances, they fell into the water. Yeah. So that was their theory. That is just absolutely bonkers. And I understand that they have to, you know, disprove every route. They, you know, but the sad thing was, is they ended up taking him back to the police station and interrogating him for hours and hours, making him do a polygraph. I mean, it was excruciating. And he was just trying to help them. I mean, they didn't take him to the hospital first? No, they didn't. So with this theory from authorities, Thomas actually ended up being arrested on April 5th. But he actually was quickly released due to the lack of evidence and that the entire theory coming from authorities was empty theories. Well, they had no that, evidence. Like the, clearly, the authorities just made it up. Yeah. I mean, I guess we knew that, though. Yeah. At the time, they might not have. But Yeah, because we're doing this in hindsight. But with Thomas released, but still under heavy suspicion by police, they were now forced to find evidence to either prove or disprove the story that he told. And actually, authorities quickly found a used condom and a flashlight at the scene, which was later confirmed to be Antonio Richardson's flashlight, who he had stolen it from previously. And remember, Antonio was one of the four guys. Yes. Now, Richardson was brought in for questioning, but not as a suspect. He was only being questioned as a witness because his flashlight was there. They didn't have anything to hold him on, you know, thinking that he was a part of it. However, the conversation that ended up starting out as a witness conversation quickly turned into a suspect conversation because it ended up turning into a confession. And he told police that himself, Reginald Clements and Marlon Gray were all involved in the rape and murders because at this point, the two sisters were still not found and were actually presumed to be dead just because it was in the Mississippi river. At how, night. like how long was this? Like, um, was it just a couple This was days? just a couple days later. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I yeah. mean, good presumption. Yeah. After the other two men were brought in, the ones that he said, they also gave the name of the fourth guy, who was Daniel Winfrey, and he was the other teenager. Each man did confess to being at the bridge on the night of the 4th and did confess to seeing Julie, Robin, and Thomas there. However, Winfrey only confessed to that and nothing else. He stated he witnessed the rapes and murders, but he was not an active participant in the attack. Winfrey ended up making a deal to testify against the other three in order to get a lighter sentence, which he did. In addition to Winfrey's testimony against the other three men, Thomas was also able to positively identify each of them from that night. So you that's have a, a lot a of plus. evidence. Yeah. The first of the four trials to begin was that of Marlon Gray. Gray denied any and all involvement in the crimes, and his story was that he was in his car during the exact time the girls were being sexually assaulted and murdered. However, the prosecution was able to supply evidence that confirmed he was there, which included his possession of Thomas's stolen watch, friends' testimony that stated he had told people about the murders, and finally, the testimony of Thomas and Winfrey, which ended up leading to his sentence of death. Well, I mean, like, if you're going to commit a murder, why, why tell people unless... Well, it... 
I think they all don't have a chance because Thomas is a very reliable witness. Well, yeah, I know. Like, he was there and he, he, was he there already and he pointed was them attacked. all out. Yeah. And not only that, but, like, this guy literally told friends yeah. that he killed someone. I know. So the next one was Reginald Clemens, and his trial went about the same as Grace. And he was also found guilty and sentenced to death. Next was Antonio Richardson, which, if you remember, he was one of the two teenagers. So he was a minor at the time of the crimes. But even with a plea deal offered to him, he still declined that and let his sentencing hang in the hands of the jury. However, the jurors found him guilty, but they were not able to conclusively decide on his punishment. So the judge stepped in and sentenced him to death. This was overturned just years later to a life in prison sentence instead of a death sentence. And it was said because a teenager should never be sentenced to death. I mean, I can understand that I can understand that too. But... I think when he turns 18, it should have gotten brought back. But that's just me. I know. Now, Gray would end up being executed in 2005, and his DNA would later be confirmed to be in the condom that was found. Because obviously DNA advancements didn't come until later, but they were able to confirm that. Clemens ended up appealing his death sentence. And this is what we see oftentimes. People appeal, appeal, and appeal. Yeah, just because they don't want to get killed. Yeah. Actually, he appealed his whole case. So it wasn't just his, his sentence that he didn't like. He thought his case was faulty. He thought he was innocent still. Yeah. And it ended up being successful due to the accusation that he suffered police brutality and was coerced into his confession. And this was bolstered by the fact that Thomas had also experienced police brutality and coercion when they assumed he was a suspect. And actually, he won the lawsuit against the police department in St. Louis. And so this kind of fueled clemens case against the the law the police station as well even with clemens plea of innocence for decades now he still ended up pleading guilty to all charges and was sentenced to five life sentences i mean on all counts he was guilty although he says he's innocent yeah you have a like a reliable witness and they had evidence and this is now in 2017 so they had more there was way more advancements at this time oh yeah Winfrey played a huge part as a witness in each case, and because of his deal with police, he did receive his minimal sentence, which was 30 years, and he only ended up serving 15 and was granted parole in 2007. Now, just like I was, you might be wondering if the Carey family ever had closure with having their daughter's bodies found, if they ever were washed up to the shore or the bank of the river. I know, I want to know. Yeah, but unfortunately, they were not able to get closure for both. Three weeks after the attack on the old chain of rocks bridge, the body of Julie was found along the banks of the Mississippi River on the Missouri side. But to this day, Robin Carey's body has never been found and has never washed ashore. And that is the case of the old chain of rocks bridge murders that took place in St. Louis, Missouri in 1991. Man, that makes me want to cry. I know. It's really sad. And there's actually now, um, you can look it up. There's a memorial for the two sisters on the bridge now. And they have like a quote and everything. And then they have their their time frames. It's kind of like a headstone. Yeah, but it's a memorial it, to the two daughters. Like, uh, like when you see like things on the side of the road. Yeah, like accidents. Like when accidents happen, people put like a cross or yeah. like almost like a headstone there or something. To me, I just think about like... At 19 and 20, you have your whole world ahead of you. I mean, at any age, really, and you I mean, have the whole world they were in college. Ahead. I mean, yeah. They were just getting ready to really start experiencing life. Yeah, and they were doing something so innocent, just going and looking at a poem. Well, not only that, like, they were with family and just, you know, the brutality of strangers, really. 
I know. It's just really sad. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. Again, we apologize for this episode coming at you a day late, but after we officially get moved into our new place this weekend, we will settle back into our normally broadcasted episodes that come at you every Wednesday. And with that, we look forward to you being back here next week where Anton will be reviewing a crime from Montana. Until then, this is your Couple of Criminals. Signing off.